You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Great show today, everybody, as we take a look back at some of the weekend's fixtures and crazy results. It has been a wild weekend, and I've brought some friends along with me so that you can enjoy the ride. I've got Nigel Rio Coker and Heath Pierce joining me, so sit back, relax, and let us entertain you. Kegolazzo begins right now. Welcome along, everybody. Enjoy with my good friends, Heath Pierce and Nigel Rio Coker. We are looking back at the weekend's results and some crazy fixtures. Nigel Rio Coker, I know you were glued to your TV, and I can only imagine my partner in crime that you saw some unbelievable games and some crazy results like I did. Oh, it was some fantastic games. Honestly, I'll, I'll probably say my two favorite was obviously the AC Milan Napoli game and also the Madrid derby. I was watching them both on the two separate devices, and it was fantastic. I won't go into greater detail how I managed to accomplish that, but I accomplished it and it was worth it. Heath Pierce, welcome to the show, man. It's so great to see you. It's been a while, but we love you. We love watching the pod with you and Jimmy. And of course, we know that you guys are active around US soccer. How on earth did we manage to get you to transfer into this show? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Des just asked me, you know, it's, this is the result of having three children. And this is the escape and break I get over the weekend is to be able to have the excuse to put the TV on. Because, you know, when it's around the U.S. national team, I get less windows. But when we're talking about the global game, I get to, I get to own the main TV in the house for an entire weekend, which is uh, a whole different level of watching, as, as, as Nigel talked about. you got to have multi-devices going. you gotta, you gotta own every, you got to own all the devices if you want to get a good look at the games. But it was an amazing weekend of matches. Well, a shout out to you, Chuck Davies, and of course, Jimmy Conrad for what you're doing in soccer. We trust, we appreciate you greatly, but let's get stuck into it, boys. Serie A action will start right there. We're going to go across most of the divisions, if not all of the divisions, if we have time today, but we got to start off with a match that just wrapped up moments ago. It was AC Milan going down by a goal, obviously losing 2-1 against Napoli. Um, 54th minute, Politano gets the penalty kick, scores it. 68 minutes, or 69 minutes, Olivia Giroud scores to make it 1-1, and then Simeone wins in the game. Uh, Nigel, it was a, an interesting game, but a big result for Napoli and one that you predicted before the weekend. Yes, yes, Ian, say it again. I predicted it, correct? <laughs> oh, what a game. What a game. It was, it was, it was a tough one to get into because it took time. But when I look at that game again, when you analyze overall, it was a game where you could see both teams have respect for each other and they really do look at each other's true title contenders. And it was a game that neither side wanted to win. You'd have to say that AC Milan had the better of the first half, really and truly. Uh, Napoli stayed in the game, being the away team. But overall, that win for Napoli is a massive confidence booster. I think that really puts a lot of belief in them to play one of the main rivals for the Serie A title, to beat them at their home ground, but to get the job done. It was a real professional performance by Napoli. 
going one nil up. Yes, you get level pegged back at, uh, by Milan and Milan are at home. You think the momentum's going to be with Milan, but to show that character again by Napoli and to get that winning goal, what an absolute game. And for me, I'm a big fan of, uh, you can call him Cal- Caladona or Quicha Kualaskeli, as we pronounce it. If I butcher it, I don't care. The player is absolutely sensational. One of the hot properties of European and world football. I'm sure, Ian, there's probably 20 to 30 scouts at every game he plays now for Napoli. What a player. And let's not forget, this is Napoli getting the result without their star striker, who's currently injured at the moment, Osman, um, Usman. And um, is that is it Usman? Ozyman. Yeah, Ozyman. I forgot yeah. the men at the end. Sorry. Right, we, you get away with it because you mispronounce everybody's name. So you get away with <laughs> I it. I know. It's all right. It's all right. But anyway, with Ozyman not being there, that is a big, big win. And I really think that's a statement win for Napoli. And that's going to put a lot of confidence in that dressing room. Yeah, there was a few things that I that I liked about this one. Obviously, uh, I think Nigel's spot on. And it took a while to get going. AC Milan, actually, and I heard a stat at halftime, and I don't want to butcher the stat, but I believe it was the first time in a half that Napoli were out-possessed in the first half of a game. And and obviously, you expect them to have a lot of attack and a lot of flow in, in, in their attack, and it took them a while to get going. And then, obviously, with uh, Cholito coming in in the second half, changed the way in which they had verticality against AC Milan, but unbelievable goals. Shout out to Sergio Dest, uh, who got thrown into the fire uh, to give up a penalty right at the end. And it's the first time I've seen him with his head down uh, it's the first time I've seen him in a while, get uh, significant minutes. So, uh, but just just an unbelievable match by the end there, just in terms of the two-way nature of it. But Napoli are so good, and you can see the decisions they made were the difference and the depth they have. When you look at Napoli being a contender every year, we talk about do they have the depth? Do they have the depth? Can they can they be fit enough? And can they rely on players to contribute deeper? Without Osimhen, you you expected them to fall off, but they were able to get a result in this one. It was really impressive. Heath, how do you feel that's going to affect uh, Dest? Obviously, he's just come on. And then he gives a, a, a penalty away to obviously give Napoli the lead. How do you think that's really going to affect him? He's a young lad still learning his trade. He's come from Barcelona to, to Milan, still trying to get into that starting lineup in a World Cup year. How do you think that's going to really affect him? It's a good question. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, and, and, and you know what it's like going into international break. It can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? This could be the thing that brings him back together. We've seen Christian Pulisic in the past in tough times kind of rally around his compatriots to sort of find his rhythm and form again. People that care a little bit more, right? When he's in that locker room, he's just another guy. No one cares about Sergio Dest. In fact, they're probably saying, this guy's overrated. I mean, how is he coming from Barcelona? Yeah, he's got good feet. I mean, show me more. And so it's probably going to shake him there. And the worst part is now he's got to leave for a couple of weeks to be able to come back in. He probably wants to be in that training ground, proving himself to sort of right the wrongs, right? When you make a mistake like Mm -hmm. that, you just want to play your next match as quick as possible to show that you have the quality. But this could give him a little bit of a break to clear his head and and come back strong again. But it's certainly going to have some sort of effect because he's wanting to come in and prove that he's got the quality, that they made a right move for him, that he should be competing for more minutes. And to make a mistake like that, that we've all made in our careers, right? You make that mistake where you lean out one second. The game happens so quick now that he's he's called for it. And you can't get away with anything with VAR now. So uh, it's going to have some sort of effect. I'm hoping that the national team break will help it on, on the back end, though. Everybody's watching Kegel lot, so we are live. It is Heath Pierce, Nigel Rio Coker, and myself, Ian Joy. We're discussing Milan's defeat, the first defeat of the season for the champions against Napoli, who are top of the table in Serie A. I guess the question I would have for you guys, um, as we want everybody's comments also on this question, did the best team win in this game? Because I've got a feeling, Nigel, you feel that maybe Magnan could have done better on the penalty kick and probably should have saved it. So at the end of the day, 
was it a fair result that Napoli actually won this one or could you have seen this one maybe being a draw where I think was probably the fairer result? I think a draw definitely would have been the fair result, Ian, on reflection of that game. But again, I think that you've still got to give credit to Napoli because being away from home plays a part. You know, going to San Siro and, and, and trying to... It was a packed to, house, um, too. It was a packed house. It's not a packed house. There. And it was packed because everyone knew the importance of this game because people were seeing the rise of Napoli, which no one expected. They're doing fantastically well in Serie A, but also doing so well in the Champions League. So that's what got the crowd going and the crowd there to see if they're real title contenders. So you know what it's like. You both know what it's like when you play away from home in games of that magnitude. You're not going to dominate possession. You're not going to always have all the chances. But when the chances came, when it came to being clinical, taking those opportunities, that is what Napoli did today. And you have to give credit to a team that does that. That's great coaching, great attitude and great application by the players. Because on the other hand, we can talk about another game just to go off topic slightly. You look at Atalanta today versus Roma. Roma came alive after Atalanta went 1-0 up. And Roma had the better chances where you would have said that on any other day, that could have finished 3 or 4-1 to Roma. If you don't take the chances when they come, if you're not clinical and you don't have that bite, you're going to lose games. And I think you've got to give credit to Napoli because for me, I think they showed that bite being away from home to one of the real serious contenders for the Serie A title. HP? Yeah, I agree. And, and when you're talking about Roma, that's a game of... Obviously, they've they've been critical of, of of Tammy Abraham, right? Or I say they, but uh, talking about Jose Mourinho, he gets sent off in a while, and 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 what I think was a pretty fair call, to be honest. But he just lost it, entered the pitch, gets sent off, and it's one of those things where I I don't remember what the, I I don't know the exact stat again. Let me, it's it's somewhere in this this run of show. Twenty one shots for Roma, zero goals. Tammy was wasteful, had that breakaway that you can see when he's in form. When you look back to last year and he was carrying the team Roma for a lot of those periods. Uh, and you said, man, you just need a few pieces around him and this team could be a, a, a title contender. You can see the form that he's in where he's second-guessing himself in and around the goal. Uh, but it can't be all on him. Uh, but he's certainly one that when he's in form, Roma are a much better team. And, 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 and he was wasteful and he's been wasteful the last few matches and in a little bit of a bump in form right now. Yeah, it's a great point to make. And of course, we must not forget it was a youngster that won the game for Atalanta. We're discussing Roma against Atalanta here on Kegelazzo. Scalvini with the winning goal, the 18-year-old with a fabulous finish from the top of the box, his first goal of the season. Um, obviously, going into the game, Nigel, it was not necessarily perfect preparation for Roma. Dybala gets injured in the warm-up. He misses out on the game. They're forced to make a replacement. Uh, I think it's Matic who stepped into the starting 11. And then five minutes into the game, didn't exactly work out perfectly for Atalanta either. The goalkeeper Musso went down with an injury. Um, it was a controversial game to say the least, but you'd have to say that Roma's poor finishing was the reason why this game ended 1-0 to Atalanta because Roma, including Tammy, your mate, had a big chance in that game. Wow, Ian, why you have to throw him under the bus like that for? He's a young kid. Should have yes, scored. He, missed the, he knows scored. he missed a chance, Ian. Okay, he knows it. Um, yeah, he should have scored. He knows he should have scored. He's set good standards since he's been there. And that was a great opportunity. But they had so many really good chances, Roma. So many good opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net. Today, they were missing that bite. And that's what happens. You know, that's the reality of the game that we love so much, especially at the highest level in Europe. If you don't take the opportunities, you're going to get punished. And that's what happened to Roma today. And obviously, Diablo not being able to play also makes a big, big difference because he's been a big part of this Roma team since he's been there. He's been that, that kind of... Um, magician that catalyst that one that can kind of open the door and you probably mm -hmm. say he's a lot more clinical and I think that he was missing today Matic was the same old Matic that I've seen nothing much really and it kind of makes him a lot more solid defensively 
but not a lot more creative in the attacking sense. And um, I think that overall, Mourinho will be definitely disappointed with that because there was opportunity there for, for Roma to get a result. And I think that when you look at Atlanta, Atalanta, it was a good away performance again, mm-hmm. professional performance. Players ran their socks off. They did the high press. They won the ball well. They look a lot more solid defensively. And I think what's what's helped them as well is, like you said, Ian, as well, not being involved in European competition right in this season will be a big part of their success of how far they can push this uh, title run. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And uh, producer Des, if we could throw that that uh, table league table back up on the screen, I would love to just touch on that. Just because of Atalanta, when you look at the teams right now, including Udinese, uh, who are sitting near the top, it's an unbelievable sort of route. When we talk about Ju- Juventus's form, when we talk about Atalanta, you, you look at last year and you say, okay, they're going to settle into maybe falling outside of Europe moving forward when you look at the, the quality of the teams. But when you have a Lazio that's still in, in uh, going punch for punch with everybody seven matches into the season, Udinese, who are unbeaten or win- who've won their last five, actually, unbeaten in six, Atalanta also overperforming how you expect them to. Uh, for, for, for both of you, do you think this is a good thing for the big clubs to have these, these other clubs floating near the top, that makes it tight for everyone, everyone, meaning everyone's giving up points along the way? Or do you think that spells trouble or smells trouble for a Juventus or an Inter Milan who haven't been great to start the season? I'll jump in here, Nigel, before you get a word on this one. I think it's great for the league. And I must admit, Serie A has been one of the most uh, interesting leagues to follow in recent years because of how competitive it is at the top of the table. And there's a lot of drama going around Serie A right now. We also recognize there's a lot of money being spent as well. I think they're they're the second highest spenders in this recent transfer window, almost a billion dollars. It was like 750 million euros that was spent, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, but most of of that was Monza signings, right? They they spent all the money. All illegal money. No, yeah. listen, I think that Ooh. it's it's great for the league in general because the talking points, the players, the superstars, and, and me and Nigel have touched upon this in previous shows, a lot of the younger players are starting to see Serie A as an opportunity to get minutes, to, to produce um, a platform where they can showcase their talent and potentially get a bigger move. So I'm enjoying watching Serie A. I mean, obviously the coverage on CBS and Paramount Plus is, is top class, and I love listening to the group that Poppy Miller has on her show. And they always uh, they always love, live and breathe the league. So I'm learning a lot every time I watch it. But, you know, following Italian football pretty much all my life, I love to see how competitive it is. I didn't like it when it was just Juventus winning every single year. It was a bit frustrating to watch because it wasn't that competition coming. But now if you look at it, my favorites to win it this year was either Milan or Inter. Both of those teams now are almost runs right now. And you'd have to say that some of the teams that nobody put money on ahead of this campaign are favorites. Napoli doing well, Atalanta doing well. I mean, it's starting to turn into this competition where we're going to see maybe a Leicester City run that someone crazy is going to win Serie A. Nigel, what do you think? I think you're right. I think for me, it it's, uh, goes to my character. I'm very competitive. So when you see... That happening to a no fantastic, way, it's fantastic <laughs> to watch. And I think for any neutral, when you look at that, it's great. Like Ian said, you got tired of Juventus winning it all the time. It's make it makes it such good for the neutral fan to watch to see these teams coming out. And these teams are coming out, they all got different gems and different superstars and players that they've recruited from over Europe, but they're building something great. And again, you we talked about Atalanta and how well they're doing and Napoli. We've got to put Udinese in there. You know, yeah. they've started up some fantastically well so far. They're shocking a lot of people. And I think with these guys winning 
against the old guard, the sense of the Juventus losing, the Inter Milan's losing, the AC Milan's using, losing games. It just makes it so much more interesting. And he put these big clubs on the edge, you know, and the thing like we know about football is you have to continue to evolve. You can't sit on your morals. There's some clubs who have such a fantastic structure in place that it works year in, year out. There's a consistency. And some of these clubs, they might come for four or five years and then vanish. No, mm -hmm. football, you have to continually to want to evolve in the right ways. And that's recruitment, manager, structure of your club, what you want to do. But I really think it's great. And it just makes it more exciting to watch that league. Hey, Heath, before I jump into Mourinho's post-game comments, I want to get your opinion on this uh, after what Nigel just mentioned right there. You, you follow closely the finances around the beautiful game. In Italy in general, we're starting to see ownership groups, American ownership groups, Asian ownership groups. There's a lot of money and people are seeing Serie A as a possibility to make money, but also enjoy the beautiful game. Do you think that's only helping the league that they're, they're getting these crazy owners come over? And of course, we've got the Berlusconi story as well, which is always interesting. But do you think that's really helping the league and pushing it to the forefront once again? I think it will. I mean, the biggest the biggest restriction uh, that they've had in the past is that 99% of the teams don't own their stadiums, right? Which is, is a giant revenue driver. If you're an investor coming in, whether domestically or internationally, that's where you drive a lot of your revenue. Match day revenue, being able to use the stadium for multi-use, have that place booked out you know, throughout the entire year. Most of those are city-owned, so they're paying rent, and so you lose a lot of that. But I think there's now mm -hmm. this ability, and, uh, and ownership groups are looking at it as saying, hey, maybe there is an opportunity to build a new stadium somewhere or something that's going to drive you know, a lot of, I mean, for, for, for the owners, it's, it's a purely capitalistic move that's going to yeah. drive money for their, for their uh, shareholders. But for, for the game in itself, it's going to continue to push it forward. And, and this is actually uh, one, uh, an interesting thing. And uh, the three of us have all experienced it. The facilities, Nigel, in North America, at all Major League Soccer clubs, compared to what you'll have at a Serie A club in the bottom half of the table, is night and day. Right. There are a lot of clubs, like you said, grounded in history that have been around a long time that have, have a way of working, but their finances aren't huge. They're stuck in an old generation in terms of facilities and infrastructure and all these things that sometimes breathing in a little bit of investment the right way can improve the, the, the quality of the player you can bring in, improve the quality of, of the environment that you're in. And so, I mean, would love just to take on, on just Nigel, especially uh, your, your experiences of, of, of what sort of modernizing a club can be like. Obviously, there's a lot of sensitivity around modernizing a club right now, especially in England and, and things like that that don't necessarily need to be modernized. But in a lot of clubs around Europe, they are still sort of looking for that next generation of like, what's the 2.0 or the 3.0 version that gets you up to the way the game is being played in 2022? Yeah, I, I think Heath, with that though, it's a it's a difficult. It's not difficult, but it's it's um, subjective because I think sometimes some clubs, as long as you've got good enough facilities for professionals to be there, that's all you need. Because sometimes not having the super luxuries of some of the best training grounds in the world that breeds a great desire yeah. to the young kids you're breeding through the academy. So they're coming from not having the great super luxuries, and that gives them that extra motivation to perform to get to the first team to maybe get themselves on the, the shopping window and be sold to get to the so-called bigger clubs where they got that luxury. And they have that extra bit of character and growth because they know what it's like to be at the bottom. They know what it's like to be at a simple training ground. I had that in my experience when I came through at Wimbledon. We used to train pretty much in a public park. We used to have some dog poo sometimes on a first team pitch. Yeah, yeah but you, hey, you hey, you quickly went to West Ham though. You quickly and went, I, to, yeah, West and I went to West Ham. Like, <laughs> West Ham wasn't that much better. Let's just, West Ham was wasn't better. that much better. Yeah, we just okay. had a bit of an indoor facility at that point. Then from then you go to Aston Villa when they have a brand new training ground. So you see it. But um, 
it, it, it does breed that. And I think if you approach it in the right way, you can make it work. But I just think overall in general, when we talk about Italian football, we've got to look at, for me, how the mighty have fallen. And like you just said, just to lead to that, Heath, look at Juventus. They probably got the best facilities in Italy, the fantastic new stadium. But if you're not performing and you're not winning, and they've got the money as well, like Ian's showing there, but if you're not performing, you're not winning, fans won't go to your game and your beautiful stadium in Italy, the best in Italy, people ain't turning up. And that's what it is. So you've got to look at that kind of aspect and we can talk about how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into that newly named segment. Thank you to our producer, Des Norris, for that one there. But before we wrap up, Roma Atalanta, of course, Roma going down by a goal to nil by the youngster, 18-year-old Scalvini with the winning goal. Uh, there was an interesting comment from Mourinho that came out. I'm just going to read it to you now real quickly. This was a game we should have won easily. We didn't dominate Monza or Cremonese like we did Atalanta. There, were very, there was a very clear penalty. I have to change my advice to my players and tell them to die. Dive like a clown as if they're diving into a pool. Nigel, me and you were texting real quickly before we move on to Juve, but there was a, a few like crazy dives in that game. Oh, mate. The, the, <laughs> the worst one was the one that we text because obviously they, they, I can't remember the two players, but obviously they were pulling each other's shirts. And then the Roma player gets into the box, finally through, and then he just dives. No touch, no contact around him. It is just pure embarrassing. It's the worst theatrics I have seen in football in so long because it's just that embarrassing that he prolongs it and then there's no contact and he dives so late. It was just Zaniolo you're talking about. Zaniolo. Yeah, it was embarrassing. We had to text each other and start laughing. Like this, <laughs> it was just embarrassing. I, Has, I do you guys think the, do you think the behavior has gotten better with VAR, knowing that like, hey, we're all watching. We're gonna watch it over and over again to see how stupid and foolish do, you look. Do you know what, Heath? That's a very good point because I say to myself, and I don't want to say because obviously we've, we're all ex-players. Is it a player's becoming that much more stupid? Because let's be real, they yeah. watch football. They know VAR's there. Why are you arguing with the referee now? Why are you? They know the situation and the protocol. Everything you do now, they have so many cameras all over the place. It wasn't like yeah. when we played, where you could do a lot more of the dark arts. And unless oh, the referee yes. saw it, you're getting away with it. Those I just the don't days. understand why <laughs> players do some of the dumb things we are seeing when there's cameras everywhere. Nigel, it was not a great weekend for video review in Serie A and it hasn't been a good couple of weeks for video review in Serie A. Obviously, they need to make certain changes. Um, Christina Uncle was on the Paramount Plus show today. I thought that was a, a great advantage to even the commentators listening to Christina who was, she was sitting next to Matteo Andre on the call and I thought it was important to have her input in certain calls in the game because, you know, the, clearly some leagues do video review better than others, right? we got to move ahead because we have a new segment. The segment is called how the mighty have fallen. We're going to keep this up because there's a lot of big clubs who are struggling right now. A few more so than Juventus, who went down by a goal to nil to Monzo, who pick up their first Serie A victory in their history. Um, thanks to Gitya, I believe it is, who scored the goal on the 74th minute. Red card to Di Maria in the 40th minute there. Heath Pierce, it was uh, an interesting weekend for Juventus and the fans seem to be going nuts. They want Allegri out. Yeah, Monza with their first ever win. And against Juventus is a massive thing. Their first ever Serie A win, I should say, to clarify that. It's their first yes. one of the year, but it's also their first ever Serie A win. And that's a massive one for them. But when I look at this Juventus, there's still so much interconnectivity to last year. Yes, they went on a late run to be able to get into Champions League and finish the season on a decent note. But this is not a Juventus side that's going to compete for a trophy or at least for winning the league uh, in, in Serie A this year. They look disjointed. The quality of the passing, it just seems like everyone's on different pages. When you think about that, 
and you think about where they're going to go. And yes, I know that they have money in theory, but all the way back to the Ronaldo era ending, a lot of it was about shedding weight, right? And they're being a little bit smarter about how they spend their money and things like that. But it hasn't seemed to come together into being a group that's competing for anything. Even when I looked at the end of the game, uh, and yes, uh, I, I, I believe it was, was, was Juventus playing down a man at some point in that game or no? They're playing, they're playing down for a long period of it. And, mm-hmm. and, but everything was still on the counter. When I think about Juventus and their prime down a man for 45 minutes, they can still, they're still going to control possession A Monza against the Monza. They're going to still feel like that game is on, on equal footing. And for long periods. And at times you could feel that Juventus were down a man. You could feel that Juventus were, were sort of up, up, up against it though. They weren't giving up a ton of chances. They didn't have that sort of confidence that we're Juventus. We dictate play. You could take two players off the field and we're still going to be able to run on Monza. Um, not to be, not, not, that's no disrespect to Monza, but for them to get their first ever Serie a, uh, Serie a win in a game like this, it leaves me reason for concern for this Juventus side, knowing that there's a lot of teams getting early points in the season that are showing beyond just the, uh, a flash in, in, in terms of their form right now that they might be able to, to, to keep going and push some of these top teams maybe out of the top four. Yeah, Eve, you made some great points there. And I think for me, I'm just going to simplify it. Juventus right now are a hot mess. And I think even now when you look at the performances, it is seeming to me that the players are losing confidence in the manager himself as well. And obviously, we know that it's, it's, there's a trend going on now for obviously the manager to be kicked out. I don't know how much of a financial implication that decision will be to the board to be able to sack him but it's better for me I would say if you're Juventus right now it's sooner than later because once those Juventus faithful fans start turning on the team and turning on the manager it's going to be a horrible place to be in and it's going to be horrible for the players to perform because the players are not going to want to play or perform under that kind of atmosphere in those circumstances you know football has changed and the generation has changed you know, and, and it's going to be very difficult. You're looking at a different generation. Can they handle the pressure when the fans turn on you and the fans turn on the manager and nothing gets done? So you've got to look at the, the situation right now and it's a hot mess. They, they really don't have a good team, good team on paper, but they're not performing like a good team. They're not performing like a collective and they are still very, very, um, just all over the place. And we see this picture yeah. where they're facing the fans and they're facing the music and look at the faces there. You know, the players just look completely dejected and they have to face what the fans are saying. And obviously, I'm sure there was a lot of abuse going on there. You know, we've let, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Let me ask you this question on, on this because I'm assuming in their locker room, right? And actually, you can both answer this if you got a comment on it. They were, are competing for the, the, the Scudetto when they so started expected. the season, right? That's expected, expected right? wearing and, that shirt. Yeah. And, and now you're looking at them and thinking like, they they might not even finish in a Champions League spot this year, right? And the same was last year. There was large portions that they were sort of pretty deep and never really in the title race. But this year in particular, you would think that the Scudetto is the first first one. And now that feels like maybe you're not even thinking about that. You're, you're, you're kind of lowering, not necessarily the expectations, but maybe you're thinking game to game on how we're going to just stay in a Champions League spot. Yeah, listen, it's a great point. And I think tonight, Joe, what you had mentioned, I think what the financial implications would be, it's a 9 million euro 
a year salary for Allegri. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, producer Des, maybe you can look up this one. I think it's nine point something million. Maybe you know this one, Heath, if you make it to the knockout stages in the Champions League. So, you know, is there that added benefit to getting rid of a, a, a manager and bringing somebody else in to try and rejuvenate the squad so that they get to the knockout stages in the Champions League? Or do you, you know, keep with the coach and, and stick with the plan? There was a great comment in the post game today from the CEO, Arriva Benny, I believe his name is. And he had mentioned how, no, 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 forget this Allegri out. It's not happening. This is a four-year project we've got with Juventus, with Allegri. We are sticking by our man. And uh, you better believe it. But the Juve fans were not happy whatsoever. There was a great comment from the Juve fans. I was looking up because I'm a bit weird like that after the games. I like to see all the dirt. And uh, the fans... One of the fans had said, we are watching the failure of a football club's project. It is a failure on and off the field, wrote one of the supporters. And I, I want to ask all the people out there who are viewing as well, let us know in the comments what you think about the state of Juventus Football Club. Do you think Allegri should be fired? Do you think he should stay? I mean, Heath Pierce, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of it's a, a million a point. It's a million U.S. per point in the Champions League group stage and nine million to qualify for the knockout round. So if you really think about what it takes to get to the knockout rounds through the group stages, it's 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 closing in on double that uh, between the group stages. So close to 20 million U.S. you're probably looking at, uh, give or take a couple of million. It's a significant uh, drop in, in, in what you're expecting, especially if you've got a huge wage bill. Yeah. You know what the thing is for me, though, guys? I just want to say this. I think there's a difference if you've got a project and you can see that the performances are there and it's just one or two things missing. But when you've got a project and the players are not performing and it looks like they're lacking confidence, you can't say, oh, we've got a project, we've got to stick with it. No, you have a problem. You have a problem mm -hmm. where somewhere along the line now, maybe Something the manager else. has lost the dressing room. Yeah. And that's the thing. So, uh, post Calciopoli, that was it. a project. Coming up, multiple divisions, rebuilding, yeah. working with the finance. That's a project. Now... Yeah. Their project of winning 10 in a row, that was a project. But then now you have to rebuild. And, and like Nigel said early on in the show, yeah, you have these institutions that can figure it out every year. But if you ask somebody that's at a club, they never, they'll they say, no, we're way different than last year. We might yeah. not see to the naked eye what the differences are, but you have to evolve. You have to iterate with the modern game, the way it's going to be different, where you're going to get your points. Data now has changed the way in which you build teams and you and, and you analyze projects. So, yeah, I agree. It's a problem, not a project. Listen, I'm going to just add the last word on Juventus before we move on to congratulate Monza on their first victory because it was pretty special for them. A great occasion. And nobody's going to talk about it because obviously what's happening at Juventus. Um, but there's there's clearly a lack of uh, of spirit, team spirit. There's a lack of chemistry. Something's not quite right at the football club. And Nigel, you touched upon it and you both make fantastic points about Juve. This is a big term project for them, so to say. However, it's not working right now. And how long do you let that process go? I mean, they're sitting mid-table in Serie A right now, Juventus. That's simply not good enough. And as Nigel touched upon at the top of the show, Juventus, it's in their DNA. They should be challenging for titles. The last point hey, I'm hey, going to make... Ian, Ian, wait, wait, wait. 40 seasons in Serie B, Monza have spent without a promotion up until this year. 40 seasons. I don't think it's consecutive, but 40 seasons. They've tried to get to the league and for their first ever win to be against uh, the giant Juventus, I think it's pretty special. It's amazing. It's absolutely insane. So congratulations to Monza from all of us at Kegelazzo. And again, everybody out there who's watching on on Kegelazzo, please let us know in your comments what you think what's happening at Juventus Football Club, but also let us know what you think about Allegri. And just celebrate the glory for Monza as well, because it was a terrific victory. Juve up next for them is a game against Bologna after the international break at home. And that 
clearly should be a must-win game for Allegri. Um, earlier on, the early kickoff in Serie A today was Udinese against Inter Milan. We touched upon it at the top of the show that Udinese deserve a lot more credit than they're getting. They went top of the table with that win because of the early kickoff. It was a terrific performance. Um, they have won five Serie A games in a row right now, scored 13 goals and led only three. Are teams underestimating Udinese, Heath, do you think? Uh, probably not at the moment, right? They've won five in a row, so you have to take them serious. But if you go back to the start of the season when they took a real beating by AC Milan, you saw a very different uh, Udinese side. Then they win against Salernitana. They go down a man. They grind out. I think it was a nil-nil or a one-one draw to be able to mm -hmm. sort of come out of that. And you know when you fight together and you get something, and yes, it's Salernitana, but again, playing down for long periods and f finding a little hope has sort of kicked them off onto this five-game winning streak. And and so I think teams, if they were underestimating even going into this weekend, you now have to consider them. Whether they have the, the, the juice to go full season, that was always the question with Napoli in years past where they're up at the top until three quarters through and then it's two, three weeks because the, t the league is so tight that somebody runs away with it from you. But um, they certainly deserve the respect at the moment. And I wouldn't want to be playing with them if I was anybody in Serie A right now. I'll just, just to add to uh, what he said there, you're 100% right. When, and I think the word I look for is character. You look at the first two results, like Heath just said, and then when you get a win like this against Inter Milan, this is a statement win. And this is the win that lets people say, okay, they're top of the league. They're top of the league for a reason. Because they didn't go through those two results earlier on and continue to crumble or be inconsistent. They took those two kind of results and they built greater character and to be on this great run and to have a statement win against Inter Milan like that that is when people are really going to start paying attention. I definitely think that people are going to start showing Udinese a lot more respect and realizing that these guys are serious when it comes to the running for the Serie A. Yeah, Inter find himself in seventh place in Serie A because of this result, and that's why we're doing this segment. I mean, what on earth is going on with Inter Milan right now? Uh, still no Lukaku, he's still injured, so he's not back ready to go. They took two players off after 30 minutes, which seems like it was a crazy idea from Inzaghi. Um, is he living on thin ice here? I mean, what exactly is going wrong with Inter Milan, Nigel? Uh, it, it's, it's a difficult one because you'd expect so much from them. You know, you look at the squad and then obviously they've got Roman Lukaku back who you thought would be the real uh, catalyst for this season to get them goals and everything. And it's just not seemed to be working right now. I don't know whether it's just the pressure sometimes that managers feel and within the moment they make rash decisions and whether that's something we could say that Inzaghi did today. But again, when we just talked about Juventus. When you talk about Inter Milan, there's a certain level of expectancy when you put on that shirt. There's always a target on your back when things don't go right or you don't get the results. And you'd have to say that Inzaghi really is another manager that's probably going to be on thin ice right now currently because he has the squad. He has the players. We, we clearly want somebody fired from Serie A, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, but I, I will tell you, when they come back from international break, they've got Roma... And then they've got Barcelona twice that it is not going to get easier for them right now. And so they, they are going, if, if, if there is a period of time that he needs to withstand to show that they could punch back or fight back or find their footing somewhere in the season, it is, it is now this break is obviously if you're from a manager standpoint, you want to have as many players as, around as possible. You know, you know, at a big club like that, there's like four guys left, you know, when he's just training four guys that playing like <laughs> they're playing boxes of some kind. But in the smaller clubs, they get to train. The small clubs in the league are training every day because those players aren't necessarily an international break. And so uh, it, it's not great for, for a coach or a team that wants to go through that. But for the players, that can be a nice break for them to go away from uh, a tough time like this. But it's, it's, it's not looking good. I mean, they've already lost to, you know, it's weird when you have a league, 
when you're a giant club, you always hear the two things. It's not about playing against the other giants, right? It's about winning all the other games. And then you ask yeah. somebody else, they're like, no, it's about getting points off the other other teams that, that establish you because the other games don't matter. And so you're seeing that where they're giving up points against everybody. At a certain point, they're going to have to win against somebody. They're going to have to either take down their rivals at the top of the table and steal points from them, or they're going to have to run clean through the other 14 clubs in the league right now. And they've already given up points to AC Milan. They've given up, I think they, no, they lost AC Milan. They lost to Lazio already this year. So it's not a great start to the season. The only hope is that there's a lot of teams sitting at the top of the table right now. And it's really, it's really thick in the first seven, eight positions that could buy them a little bit of time, knowing that people are going to be interchanging points throughout in the next few months. Well, let me tell you, Heath Pierce, the next two fixtures are against Roma and Serie A at home and then Barcelona at home in the Champions League. And that must be a must-win game for Inter. Otherwise, they could potentially find themselves out of the Champions League knockout stages. Matt Osmond, I think Inzaghi deserves patience. His players clearly respect him. They're just going through a rough patch. We can say that about many teams who have been struggling, but how the mighty have fallen moves to the Bundesliga, Augsburg beating Bayern Munich this weekend by a goal to nil. Um, Nigel Rio Coco, we kind of uh, predict that something's wrong with Bayern Munich right now. And I'm just, just going to let you have the floor, Ian. You don't have to come to me, Ian. You take the floor with Bayern. You can wipe the floor with Bayern. You take the floor. <laughs> I'm just going to and listen because you're right. I'm, I'm excited to get into it with these peers because I know he, he spent a lot of time in the Bundesliga as well and uh, obviously has a clear love for the German game. Um, but I, I'm finding it difficult to put into words exactly what's going on with Bayern Munich because I don't know what's going on. We give credit to Augsburg for that victory. But Bayern Munich, Keith Pierce, three draws before they went into this weekend in a row in the Bundesliga. Now they've lost their first uh, Bundesliga game in the season. It's not good times for Julian Nagelsmann. What on earth is going wrong there? Yeah, it's it's weird. You know, he, he made that comment about Oktoberfest, uh, about wanting to yeah. cancel it. And by the way, they went to Oktoberfest because guess what? They've got sponsors. They've got a beer sponsor. You think you could skip Oktoberfest yes. with a big beer sponsor? It's not going to happen. You're going to show up. You're all going to smile. And deep down, you're going to it's going to be eating you alive. So they ended up going to Oktoberfest as a team, which maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. But it, this is this is a, a kind of a peculiar one for me, because if you go back to the Gladbach game, right? Jan Sommer, record-breaking saves in the his history of the Bundesliga to, to, to draw that game. I, I think it was a 1-1 uh, game or maybe it was 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, but record-breaking game. And you look at it and you go, just similar to, to, to Roma's match, you go, I mean, we had all the chances. We just didn't, we weren't clinical enough or we weren't ruthless enough around in front of goal. And then it starts to linger a bit. They, they get a result against Inter Milan Champions League. They get a result uh, against Barcelona in the Champions League. And, mm -hmm. and so you go, okay, it's back to being the Bayern that we all all know and love. And then in a game like this, there wasn't good passing. There wasn't good creative. There wasn't good execution. You start to go, well, is it just about finishing or is there something bigger happening right now, right? Because we know that the defense can have a bad day in, 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 for, for, for Bayern Munich. We know that they've had some changes. Yes, when Nicolas Sule left, I thought, okay, they're going to shore this thing up because I was never sold on his ability at, at, at the Bayern level. But... Uh, Upamecano hasn't been as good as he was uh, before he got to the club. There, there's just for sure. they have the ability to make mistakes in a way that Bayern haven't. Right? They are the quintessential stereotypical German engine, and uh, it's not happening right now. And then when you look at it, you go, "Okay, a result could have gone this way." You look at the Jan Summer draw with with Gladbach, and you look at the results they've gotten in Champions League. You go, "Something's not okay." But then for Nagelsmann to come out and make that comment, you go, "Something's burning inside that locker room. Something is <laughs> off, and it's not." It's not about results because it hasn't been horrible, right? We've seen horrible on like the every 14th year of Bayern Munich have a horrible one. Uh, yeah. And we've seen that before. And this is not that, but there's something going on in that locker room that I think maybe there's, there's some uh, division that might have uh, uh, an effect. I don't know, Ian, what's your thought? 
I'm going to go for Ian Heath. Heath, I'm going to go for Ian. I'm going to say, all right, Ian, you're 100% right, because you made this point a while ago. I disagreed with you. I thought it was just a blip in the matrix, but Ian was right. There's something there. I put my hands up to it. My question to Ian is this. With what we've seen of everything, and also with even the win against Barcelona and Leroy Sane being taken off and his reaction, Mm -hmm. let me know that there is definitely something that's not right there. Bayern have a good enough squad on paper for now, to be able to really be competitive. Do you think Bayern would be wrong to sack the manager and bring someone else in now with the players that they've got and the current status of high-profile managers that's still available on the market? Would Bayern be wrong to get someone to come in and rejuvenate that dressing room for some reason and bring more of a collective togetherness? Listen, it's a great point. And I think, as ever, when Bayern Munich don't win games, even if they're drawn games, the discussion is always there to be had. Is this the right manager? Is the right man to lead this club forward? Is he um, someone who you can see the future with at Bayern Munich? I think Julian Nagelsmann is. I mean, he's a terrific young coach. Um, I think he's a coach who's recognizing the importance of losing an incredible goal scorer. Whenever you take Lewandowski away from any team and those goals, you have to be able to replace them. And I don't think but they but did but that with Weren't you excited about the idea of them maybe modernizing their style and not the reliance on a single striker to go with a false nine, maybe modernize, play a little bit more production across the front line? Or were you just like, oh man, that's 40 goals a year. You got to figure out where you're going to get them from now. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't looking forward to the fact that they're going to share the goals. Share the goals. Heath. I mean, you look at what Bayern wow. Munich are doing right now. Right? Everyone's saying the same thing to me. Bayern Munich will share the goals. They're going to come from midfield. They're going to come from the wings. They're going to come from Sadio Mane. He's not a striker. He's like someone who likes to drop off. BS, man. I'm calling absolute BS when it comes to Bayern Munich because they are a team that notoriously through the years, and you go through the history, Heath, you know you played against Bayern Munich. Notoriously through history, they've always had a goal scorer. And notorious through history, they've always had a number nine who's been proven in the Bundesliga. And it's not necessarily someone that, you know, is a big name. Even Lewandowski scored goals in the Bundesliga, but he wasn't a massive name before he arrived at Bayern Munich. Sure, he scored goals at Borussia Dortmund, but they created that star. They created that animal inside the box there. And if you go back through history, notoriously what they've done is they've brought in proven goal scorers in their league. Now they're thinking outside the box. They're trying to bring in players who are not from the league. Sadio Mane is a great example of that. He's not in a great run of form. He's a terrific player. I couldn't understand his move away from Liverpool whatsoever. But now you're seeing the fans are not happy with Sadio Mane. I think he what, scored five goals in his uh, first 11 games, right? And uh, he hasn't scored any goals in his last five games. So he started off well, but now the goings get tough. Normally you turn to Lewandowski or your hot goal scorer. Mark my words. Mark my words. Put it down right now. What they're going to do and I know, I know for sure the CEO of Khan has already come out and said it. We stand by Julian Nagelsmann, Nigel. So they're not firing him. Mark my words. They're going after a striker. They're going after a hot striker who is world-class, who is potential of being world-class, or is a proven world-class goal scorer. And the two that come to my mind, okay, and you can call me crazy, because I already predicted that Bayern would get knocked out of the Champions League crazy enough, but I knew there was a problem, clearly proven in the Bundesliga. The two players who stand out to me... Harry Kane, they could get Harry Kane because they will go for him. They've got all the money in the world, Bayern Munich. They just need to pull the trigger and go get him. It's an opportunity for Harry Kane to go and potentially win the Champions League with a club like Bayern Munich. Nigel's smiling at me. But the other one I like, and Nigel, this will drive you absolutely crazy. But Dusan Vlahovic at Juventus, I think is a wrong fit for Juve 
but he might just be the right fit for Bayern Munich. Thoughts? I, I would give you the floor with that one. I will give you a little round of applause for that. The Harry Kane one, I think, is going to be a tough one. I agree with you. They've got all Why? the money. Why is it tough? Why? It's going to be a hard persuasion to get Harry Kane to leave Tottenham to go to Bayern Munich. Because at Why? the same time, at the same time, let's be real. Manchester United still in, in need of an old school striker as well. Manchester United are a club that still need that number nine. Regardless, they need that as well. And he's already been linked to them. Obviously, City's out the window now. They've got Haaland, who's an absolute beast right now. Maybe you could say Bayern Munich took the... the, the um, I off the prize. Which which, which project do you think? Which uh, Nigel? Which project do you think is is more attractive? If you're a Harry Kane, in terms of where it's at now, right? Come January, if they went out and said we're going to spend both blank checks, we're going to spend. I can't is speak it, is it, Harry Kane, and it goes to what Ian and I had a conversation a while back, and probably we're more open to go out there and travel, to go out there and play. Harry Kane, I don't know him personal, personally, but would he be looking at Bayern Munich to say, look at this historic club playing in the Bundesliga, scoring goals here, playing Champions League? Or would he be a player that wants to keep the comforts of being English, playing in England? And if I can't go to a Manchester United or one of those teams, I'm just going to stay here at Tottenham. You know, that's what he's got to look at. I think for me, Ian's right. That would be very attractive if you're Harry Kane, because he's going to get financially rewarded anyway. He's playing yep. for one of the great historic clubs in world football. It's not just you, it's world football, the history that comes by and by Munich. And he can go there and make a fantastic name for himself. No, he but can win. His... It's not just about money, Nigel. He can win. If you look no, at Harry Kane's owners, what has he won? He needs to start winning. He's got to go to a club where he can win something. And at Bayern Munich, you've got a possibility of winning the Champions League every single year because they'll spend. But you've got the possibility of winning the treble every single year. Heath, there's something about buying that gets Ian going. Oh, yeah. so, well, I mean, I mean, it's Sadio Mane. You can just see why, you know, it, it, like he, he's he's Sadio Mane sitting back going like, you know what? This whole win in the Premier League thing is pretty tough. And, you know, winning winning the Champions League, this is a lot of work. I might go somewhere. At least one of these things is guaranteed. The other one's like on the fence if we do things right. I mean, you can see the reasoning to go into buying. It's a, it is a bit of a head scratcher for someone like him. But man, imagine being able to do it with a lot less stress of of being in a in a in a Liverpool competing with three other teams that that you can't control. Uh, it's got to have some attraction to it because no one's going to beat Bayern even in the in, in the Bundesliga this year. It's not going to be Union Berlin that finishes on top. It might be Borussia Dortmund, but I really don't. I see them hitting that run of form it. where it's fifteen weeks straight, three points every week, maybe a couple midweek three pointers, and now they they run away again, and and that's how it ends. Yeah, we got to move on. Producer Dez is pushing us on here. Uh, great great topic of discussion about how the mighty have fallen in Bayern Munich there's something wrong with them there so please feel free to join in the conversation let us know in the comments what you think about Bayern Munich and are they going to win the Bundesliga this year what is your thoughts on Julian Nagelsmann please drop us a little comment make sure you guys are liking and subscribing to everything we're putting out there as well the discussion is over about Bayern Munich their next game is against Leverkusen uh, we're going to take a quick break but when we return we'll have a look at La Liga and the Madrid Derby and of course we'll take a deeper dive into the Premier League Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, please don't forget that CBS Sports is your home for the 2022-23 UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League and UEFA Europa Conference League group stages with Paramount Plus streaming every match live and to complement the best club competitions in the world. We also post a wealth of premium soccer documentaries, including Destination Paris, which follows journalist Guillaume Balaguer's path through the Europe. And of course, the 2021-22 UEFA Champions League season culminating with the final in Paris. Balaguer's travels detail Ukrainian club Shakhtar Donetsk, their experiences amid ongoing war. Check out Destination Paris and the entire Champions League season on Paramount Plus. All right, welcome back everybody to Keiko Lazzo. Please make sure you like and subscribe. Please make sure you join in the conversation. Ian Joy with Nigel Rio Coker and Heath Pierce with you. The Madrid derby took place and uh, we would like to focus on the football before we get into some of the dirty details ahead of this game. Um, but we got to talk about the game. Nigel, I know you were all over it. It was a big win for Real Madrid and some terrific goals to follow suit. Fantastic win, you know, and again, it's it's kind of like you were still looking at Real Madrid where they're not pay, playing at fifth gear. You know, they're still playing in that first and second gear. They're surviving, doing okay. But when it comes to that moment, that moment of quality that's needed, they put it in the back of the net. And you look at both goals. I think I'm not just going to talk about the goals and the players. You talk about Vinicius Junior, obviously. You talk about um, uh, what's it, Rodrigo and um, oh, Verdi. Fantastic. You look at those players. But again, one of the players that I said, and we discussed this another time, Ian, about Tuchamini. What a fantastic ball he played. Stop laughing. That's like, listen, if you go on a pronunciation on YouTube, it is Tuchamini. That's how some people pronounce it. You can laugh all you like. That is how some people pronounce it. I'd like everybody out there who are watching along on this live to let us know in the comments if Nigel is uh, pronouncing Chalmini's name correctly or not. Anyway, back to the topic of conversation. Go ahead. What a fantastic ball he played for the first goal. And for me, I look at the ability that this young man possesses. And obviously, there's talk now Fabulous. about Paul Pogba maybe not being fit or making the World Cup. When you have a player like that playing out Real Madrid, I think you can not worry about Paul Pogba because that kid is the real deal. And it goes again about the scouting network, about clubs having a structure and for me, you, I have to give credit to Real Madrid for the structure that they have in place because the recruitment they've done this year, the mix they've got of young and old players, the talent is fantastic. But for me, the star man today is that magician Modric. Luka Modric is still the man that controls that Real Madrid team. He was absolutely fantastic. People might not see a lot of what he does, but for someone who's played in that midfield role I see how important the passes he picks the timing and his positioning how he controls that whole flow of game and it is just fantastic for what to watch yeah no, I mean the, the other thing that I, I I kind of like about just where Real Madrid is at is they've 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 just allowed their young stars to become stars over time right we put the pressure. The media puts the pressure. The transfer fee puts the pressure on all these guys. But to see Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, other young players in this team come in and know that they're it's not just like, hey, you need to prove this today or tomorrow or you're out. They're building on these guys. And so there's clearly some sort of 
protection they're putting into these players that we're not seeing them fall off or seeing just flashes of them and then they end up somewhere else. We're seeing them bloom or blossom um, under under uh, Ancelotti, under under mm-hmm. this type of uh, club. And I think that's rare in a club this size that we've seen in the modern in the way the modern game is, right? When there was loyalty and teams players stayed at clubs longer, that's different. But now a transfer fee comes and it's like, give them a couple weeks and now you need to start producing, right? Lewandowski didn't score in his, what, his first couple games. People were like, is he good enough to play at Barcelona? You know, like that's that that that's what starts happening when you're these star players. But but for Vinicius Jr., much slower start than you expect. Rodrigo, uh, another super super talented world class player, to have that protection and that trust and that understanding and support, I think, is really important to what they're building there because they are the Galacticos. You usually don't think about them in the vein of like giving young players a ton of chances to prove themselves. But it seems like they've modernized a bit as well and have, and have built something that I think um, players want to be playing for it, whether you're old and you're, you're, you're Cruz or you're, you're, you're Modric or, or you're a young player coming through the ranks. We are discussing the Madrid derby, Real Madrid winning by two goals to one, thanks to goals from Rodrigo and Valverde. Hermoso, Hermoso pulled one back in the 83rd minute, but Rodrigo getting his third goal of the season in La Liga, actually third game in a row that he scored a goal. So impressive from him. Um, but as you mentioned, Heath Pierce, if you look at the ages of these young superstars, I mean, Vinny Jr., 22 years old, Valverde, 24, Rodrigo's only 21 years old. Then you've got Chao Meni, who's 22 years old. Um, it's safe to say, Nigel... Is that the that- same player that... That Nigel was saying that's it doesn't I just want to know who's right I you know I'm getting confused <laughs> myself I don't know which player we're talking about anymore stick with Nigel it's all right <laughs> Nigel it's safe to say that Real Madrid's future is in great hands I mean there's no Kareem Benzema there today and of course it didn't look like they needed a Kareem Benzema because these young superstars they are flying high with confidence right now and even though it was controversial coming into this game these superstars they shone brightly once again yeah, I mean, they've, Real Madrid are providing the stage and these guys are really taking the limelight. They're not scared to perform. They're embracing it. And they really look like they're a, a team that's together. There doesn't seem to be any egos. It really is a team effort. Whenever you see a team perform like that, and I'm sure you and Heath can add to that, that stems from the manager. Mm-hmm. Let's not, We've got to give a lot of credit to Carla Ancelotti there because that kind of superstar stardom team that you have, and when you see the, the, the togetherness in there, the unity even when they're playing, that comes from management. And you talk about other teams, we can question about the unity in Paris Saint-Germain with the superstars that they have, but you don't see that in Real Madrid. And I think collectively, with the recruiting that they've done, if they keep these guys together, which I'm sure they are, because where, why would you leave Real Madrid to go to any other club in the world? For a good couple of years, they're going to be dominating La Liga and Champions League for a long time to come, barring they all stay healthy. My thing is, just like Ian made predictions about Bayern Munich, I will not be surprised if Mbappe ends up in Real Madrid next year. Because I think that that is just the missing piece. If they get Mbappe to that, I think all other teams could really start to looking for a magical code to be able to take Real Madrid away from the Champions League. Because Mbappe Do you think that happens, Heath Pierce? Do you think that happens, Mbappe comes? Yeah, I I think it's inevitable that 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 has to right. happen at some point. It's inevitable. I, I when and who has who can write the biggest check? I don't I don't know. Uh, you know if if if, if this is global inflation kicks in and uh and lowers the price tags of everyone, maybe they can go quicker. But it has to, it's inevitable. I just don't see how somebody like Mbappe doesn't go for uh, uh, himself for a bigger challenge or something different, and and that the PSG project doesn't hit some sort of. 
um, wall along the way that they're going to have to make some tough decisions that might not make the fans happy, but ultimately needed to, to give the club its best chance of success in the future. You're watching Kay Galazzo, Ian Joyer with Nigel Rio Coker and Heath Pierce with you. Antoine Griezmann started, believe it or not, he started for Atletico Madrid today. Tomorrow on Kay Galazzo, we'll be discussing his contract situation with Fabrizio Romano. Cannot wait to hear what Fab's got to say about this Antoine Griezmann situation. I can only imagine that Fabrizio knows every single detail about his contract. So excited to pick that one up. But before we move on to talk about um, other games, uh, can we please just discuss the ridiculous comments that were directed at Venetia? Jr. and his dancing goal celebrations. In case you missed it, I'm going to just repeat what I've been reading. Obviously, this was put out in every single news format. I'm going to repeat the words, and for some people out there, it might affect you, it might harm you, it might hurt you, but I've got to say it. So here we go. So while appearing on Spanish TV on Friday, Pedro Bravo, a leading agent and president of the Association of Spanish Agents, compared Vinicius Jr.'s dancing celebrations after scoring to the behavior of a monkey arguing that the forward was not respecting his opponents and, in quotations I say, should stop playing the monkey. When you score against a rival, if you want to dance samba, you go to the samba drum in Brazil. Here, what you have to do is respect your colleagues and stop playing the monkey, he said, end quotes. Now, the support for Vinicius Jr. since then has been truly amazing, as it should be. And having played in Germany for five years for St. Pauli and, and a club that, that fights discrimination and racism uh, across the board, this hurts my soul. And to see these types of comments still freaking existing in today's age, it's just absolutely mind-blown to me. I think Vinicius Jr. has handled this situation incredibly well. Such an impeccable human being. And as far as I'm concerned, he should be dancing on and on and on and on to prove a point as well. Nigel Rio Coker, your thoughts on the whole situation? I mean, I, I honestly, and it's, it, it burns me up inside that this is something that I could really go on about for so long, but I don't. And I think it's just easy just to simplify it. For me, that's all about race. There's nothing else that comes from that kind of statement and comment because you can dance samba anywhere. You can dance samba anywhere in the world. I've seen white players score goals and dance and it's never been an issue. But this is director Vinicius Junior. You make it about dancing samba, go dancing the samba drone. It has nothing to do with it. What he's done is he's planted a seed for all the clubs in Spain to target this young man now. Now, every game he plays for Real Madrid, every stadium he goes to, he's going to be racially abused. I think it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that La Liga haven't made a statement, that the Spanish FA haven't made a statement to kind of defend Vinicius Jr. And for me, I just want to say to Vinicius Jr., come to the Premier League if they don't want you to dance samba in La Liga. Because the Premier League, you're more than welcome to dance, do whatever you want when you score goals. Come and celebrate and you'll be welcomed with open arms and Brazilian flags everywhere. Because if they don't want you like that and they don't want to appreciate the footballer that you are, then you have no reason to stay there. But I think it's absolutely embarrassing. And it's this this whole comment is made about race. And I know he's going to make an apology and say his words were misconstrued. It was, no, these are grown men. They haven't been living under a rock and just coming to 2022 to know what's acceptable in society. On, on live television as well. Yeah. Exactly. Live so television. you know the words that are coming out your mouth and then to compare it to a monkey makes no sense but just to say you're a racist bigot and out of touch idiot. Yeah. And and for him to come back and say what he meant is acting a fool. Well, you, well, you clearly knew just say acting like a fool if that's what you yes, really meant. Exactly. And that's not what you really meant. Like to correct it that easy and say, oh, this is what I meant. Well, you're, well, that's nowhere close to what you said. And on top of that, 
to, to, to back up uh, Nigel's point that this is not just about the act in itself. It's the precedent that it's set. And if anybody that's listening to this or watching this thinks that, oh, okay, that's exaggerated, that now everywhere he goes, they're going to feel like it's okay to do that. It happened today in the match, before the match, during the match. They were chanting at yes. him. It immediately yep. happened that now these fans come out from under uh, 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 under the shadows and they come out and they say, oh, now I get a free shot. I get a free shot for a bit. They, they're going to do it on the internet. There are all these people that have been forced to the sideline that have uh, a lo- all this hate have now been given the, f- the the freedom to leverage this into their benefit, into their favor. And and all it's done is put this pressure and, an, and a ridiculous amount of disrespect on on this player for no absolute no reason. And it's and it's already started from the moment he made that comment to his very first match. It came out and it's unacceptable. It is unacceptable and it's very, very difficult for many out there. And we do apologize. Obviously, I think having these types of discussions is so, so important to be able to kick racism out of the game and out of our world. So I think there's a segment later down the line where we could maybe all get together and discuss racism and, and make it a larger segment and really, you know, share our own points of view and maybe some stories that we have from what we've dealt with ourselves individually. But it's certainly something that still looks like it's ongoing, not just in Spain, but in, in multiple countries and it needs to be kicked out and kicked out soon. I will say this, though, and and great, well said, Nigel. Uh, Vinny Jr., uh, he has handled this situation incredibly well, and may he dance on and on and on. Nigel, you want to say anything before we move on to the Premier League, or you want to get going? Oh, I think we've covered it. You know, I mean, like you you and I, all of us here, just frustrated that things like this can happen still, and the fact of a, a grown man can make a statement knowing exactly what he means, and then when he gets called out for it, gives a half-assed apology, and again, the kid is celebrating a goal and dancing. He's not hurting anyone. He's enjoying yes. the game he played. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You singled him out because of his race, because of his special talent and because of how well he's doing. And it just doesn't sit well with you. And it is what it is. You know, it's, it's something that we need to get rid of. And I think I'm just disappointed at La Liga with having that star talent. They haven't released a statement straight away because this happened yesterday. And there's been no statement released yeah. by any of the governing bodies in Spain to say that they don't agree with this. And they completely condone what he said. Condemn, sorry, condemn what he said. Condemn. Yeah. Listen, you say grown man. This is not a man. This is absolutely not a man. We have to move on. Let's move on to the Premier League. We'll pick it up the pace. We'll pick up the energy. And we'll pick up the happiness after that uh, disappointment. Uh, Brentford, Arsenal, uh, early kickoff. It was a terrific game. A terrific performance from Arsenal. Uh, Nigel, I know you're all over this one here. Arsenal go top of the Premier League with that win. Uh, they also had a very young kid make his debut in the Premier League today. 15 years old, 15 years old. He plays in the Premier League game and I'm sure he's probably got school tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Highly rated, came into the squad. It's true though, he's 15 years old, youngest ever. And then now he's got school tomorrow, but that's a lot of faith by Mikel Arteta. And he's highly rated at Arsenal. Didn't really get to touch the ball, I don't think, two or three minutes on, but forget all that. I mean, one Arsenal, t- he got one touch. One touch. Oh, okay, <laughs> there we go, the young lad there, 15 years old. I mean, we, this is another subject we could take on at another time because obviously time's short with us, but Arsenal got the win. I think that game there for me was about revenge from last season, character building. Potentially, we've seen Arsenal lose games like the likes of to the likes of Brentford, as we know. And I think for this, this was a real kind of important win for Arsenal. I wouldn't say it's a statement win, but it's an important win to see the progression under Mikel Arteta to see if they can really be title contenders or finish in the top four. Are they though, Heath? Are they title contenders? Is this the real deal, Arsenal? I mean, you clearly seen the comments from Brentford boss Thomas Frank after the game. He said, and he believes that they are contenders. Are they? 
I mean, I, I, I think at this exact moment, they are. Uh, we've seen flashes of this in the past, but they continue to get better. This wasn't even their best 11 they put out on the field uh, in this match. So it's showing you that they have depth, they have the ability to rotate, and, and a lot of that is how you manage a, a, a Premier League season, right? Knowing you've, you're playing in multiple competitions, week in, week out, midweek as well. Um, and then with with each passing week that they get the uh, the, the result, they're, they become more and more of a real contender. And this is a a, a, a great one here, that the nice kick about with the boys. Um, obviously routine Something win, huge there. win for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and I, I think it was a fake account of, of the young boy that made a debut, but they, somebody made the account of him saying nice kick about with the boys as well. Nice to get a little kick about with the boys. So, uh, some good banter to come out of this one, but amazing to see a young player, a young star have that type of, um, belief or, or, or even composure to step in. He didn't obviously do much, but for, for, for a club to, to bring him into that environment is going to do wonders for him. And um, yeah, I think at this exact moment, I see, I see a contender in, in Arsenal. Hey, Nigel, before we move on to the Hammers, I want to discuss Gabriel Jesus. He was on the score sheet yet again for Arsenal. Um, am I fair to say that Gabriel Jesus fits better into Arsenal than he did at City? Four goals, three assists. I mean, he's been probably the second most active player in the Premier League behind Holland. He definitely does. I think with me, when you look at Gabriel Jesus, I remember when he made his debut, I think the first game I saw him play was uh, when he played West Ham away. And I looked at him, I was like, wow, this kid is absolutely frightening. So sharp, so energetic, works hard, had everything. And I thought this kid's going to be a problem, going to be a real problem in the Premier League. Obviously, it didn't work out. It did, I, I want to say it didn't work out because I think he still did well at Manchester City. But when yes. you're at Manchester City, you're playing under Pep Guardiola's system. Now he's at Arsenal, he's not as restricted or chained as he was at Manchester City. Now we're seeing the real Gabriel Jesus, and I think he's flourishing, and he's only going to go from strength to strength. Well, next up for the Gunners is a home game to Spurs on October 1st. Let's move on to Everton against West Ham. Sorry, Nigel, I'm going to start with Heath Pierce right here because the Toffees got their first win of the season. West Ham remain in the relegation zone. Malpe got his first goal for Everton. Heath Pierce, correct result, would you say? I mean... It- it's just a bit, it's a huge result for Everton, uh, considering that we, we all know when you've been in times where you feel like you're doing better or outperforming what your results are. They're a team that uh, I don't know if it's three, four, five games they're unbeaten. Everton were all draws going into that point, but when a draw those draws lead to a loss or another loss, then it all feels wasted, right? When you can cont- when you can convert that final one uh, to, to 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 break it into a win, that's a huge step forward. And while they're still you know, towards the bottom of the table, I think that shows you that it's progress being made or that perhaps those wins uh, could have been, could have been, or, or that win or those draws could have been wins along the way and that you're, you're yeah. training in the right direction as opposed to just surviving and that's what's getting you a point each match. So overall, I think it's a step in the right direction for the club. Um, whether or not uh, it was, a, it was a, a, an all-out dominating performance, I, I'm not that convinced. Nigel, we got to touch upon the hammers, mate. What's going on? They spent a hundred... And $82 million, that's £160 million. West Ham with one win. They've only scored three goals this season. What the freak is going on, man? I'm worried for them. I really am, Ian. I think they they really look flat. They look like they're low in confidence now. I think that loss there really has taken the wind out of them. And they just don't look like they've got the same energy. I think they played at such a high tempo, high pace, enthusiasm, everything you'd, 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 the words you'd use to describe a good team last season. Mm -hmm. They took their eye off the Premier League a bit, concentrating on European glory. That didn't quite work out. Maybe it's a little bit of a hangover of the high that they had last year. But the problem and why I'm worried about them, Ian, is they're not performing well in the Premier League right now. They're not creating goals. They're not scoring goals. And also remember, they've still got Europe this season. So how much of a burden is that going to be 
And the more they go without getting wins and building that confidence again, the longer and the tougher the season's going to be. Because playing on the Thursday and Sunday, Thursday and Sunday, it's going to be very, very tough. And also, David Moyes doesn't like to change his team a lot. How long are these players that he continually picks going to have that energy to continue to play and perform? I think the game today was one in the midfield for me. I think Idris Segei made a big difference for Everton. The energy that he has, comfortable to get on the ball, passing that ball forward. Oh, he, he really almost had one bad turnover, though, that almost cost him when they hit, hit it. Like almost almost, yeah, but almost did. But, yeah. but he was good throughout the 90 minutes. He's got that real energy about yeah. him. And I think, for me, the star performer for Everton is Iwobi. From the start of the season, he has been a real catalyst. Looks like a different player, right? Doesn't he? Yeah, 100%. He's been, he was fantastic again today. Uh, real quickly, I'm just going to let you know that the next two games coming up for West Ham, massive, massive games coming up for them. They play Wolves and Fulham after the international break. I mean, Nigel, those are must-win games. you got to be quick here because we got to move on, but those are must-win games, right? You, you've said it. I don't have to say anything else. You're 100%. When you're in this situation right now with the confidence, must-win games. All right, let me run through the other results. Aston Villa got a 1-0 victory over Southampton. Nottingham Forest went down by three goals to two against Fulham. Uh, we did see a couple of postponements, but also on Saturday, we saw Manchester City and Erling Haaland once again get the victory, three goals to nil. Newcastle won, Bournemouth won. And then, of course, we two, the two games we discussed just a moment ago. Um, before we move on, let's just touch upon Hoingman Son real quickly. Uh, they dropped him. He scored a hat-trick in the second half. Correct decision or not? We talk about Tottenham-Leicester. Tottenham got that 6-2 victory. But Hoingman Son came in in the second half, scored a hat-trick. Correct decision? Go on, Heath. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I mean, he was saying that he hasn't been in the best of form. His finishing hasn't been great, but he's had the support and he knew he would get out of it. He knew he was creating chances. And so to be given that opportunity and, and to reward that, you know, he, he seems to be one of the one of the few players that consistently seems to be his self-reflection or self-awareness is close to probably where he's at that he says, OK, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm overlooked for this one. I get my chance to come in. I'm going to prove myself. And he knew the goals would come. And so it all sort of came together. Obviously, in hindsight, it's easy to say that after a hat trick. But um, but uh, the attitude was right. And I think he was the assessment of himself of saying, I haven't been I haven't been at that level in terms of being clinical and being at, at the level that you've seen me before. And therefore, I've left myself exposed to being dropped in the lineup. And, you know, when I, he got his chance and, and I think he rewarded the club, obviously, all all of those goals uh, in the second half were were were. Spurs goals, right? I think it was they Great went finish, two, 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 into they went into half at two two. Yep. Yes, it was. I think for me, he was always going to come good. I said it to Ian. I said he's always going to come good. However, um, Conte managed that situation. He managed it the right way. I personally think if they kept him in, it wouldn't have been the wrong thing to do. I think it would have still been fine to do it. But obviously, Conte felt if he took him out. And I don't know, Nigel. But if a wake up call, I think today, I wouldn't say it was a wake up call. If I'm honest, I no? just think that yeah, I think that I don't think that it's one of those ones where it's a bit of reverse psychology. Oh, he's on the bench; he's going to be wound up and angry. No, his ability's there. He just hadn't gone into the back of the net. You know what it's like when strikers tell you it's until they get that first goal, then everything, yeah. all the weight comes off their shoulders, and then they start scoring more and more. I think that's what it was. He just needed that first goal, regardless if he started the game or he was a substitute. Or come on, once he got that first goal. He's going to get back to his best. 
Well, it was certainly an interesting first half. Tillemans opened the score in six minutes in before Harry Kane equalized two minutes later. Eric Dyer got Tottenham 2-1 ahead before at halftime. James Madison scored an absolute banger into the top corner. Second half, as you pointed out, Heath Bentancourt and then Hyungman Son with a hat trick uh, rounded things out. Uh, a quick start before we touch upon Leicester City. Tottenham 17 points from their seven Premier League games this season is their joint best record at this stage of a campaign level with a 2016-17 season when they finished as runners-up to Antonio Conte's Chelsea side. So a good start for Tottenham Hotspur, but not a good start uh, for Brendan Rodgers at all. Um, I mean, his post-game comments were absolutely unbelievable. Can I read them out to you real quickly? Whatever their decision is, I will always respect it. The owners will do what they feel they need to do. I'm not daft. I know football. And the last six games don't make great reading. But I have every confidence the team can push on and climb up the table. I come in every day and do my work, but you've got to win games. I understand the frustrations of the supporters, and I cannot hide from that. It is my responsibility. It would cost... About ten million to sack Rogers. He's got a contract till twenty twenty five. What would be the right decision, Heath, for Leicester City to make? I'll tell you, it is very easy to be humble when you got ten million sitting in 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 your back pocket. You know, going like, oh, you know, I got to do the job. And uh, if you want to let me, it's not like it's that. You know, if 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 it was an at will employment, I'll tell you, you're not going to be talking like that in the press. But when you got that contact, uh, per, when you got that protection, but look. A lot of it's going to come down to it. First half, solid. 2-2 two, two into the half. You go into the second half. They can't find a way. Their, their, their defense is, is struggling right now, and those are things that you can improve. They're, it's not like they're, they're, they're Norwich of last season or where you just see a complete lack of quality. There's decision-making. There's integration into the team still. There's a number of things they can improve that, that will shore up this back line. But how much better it gets, I'm not really sure right now. So whether or not he sort of hit his... Uh, expiration date in terms of the impact he can have and you've got to hand that baton off I think we'll find out uh, by the end of the year I think we'll see we'll have an indicator of where that's at I do you want him fired don't you I don't want him fired I just think that you've got to be smart about these situations like he've put said there that they've got the players there it's individual areas um, it's not panic stations yet give him three or four more games see how it goes read the body language of the players and the performance then you'll know what to do but give him three or four more games before that decision well, because we haven't been able to shut Nigel Rio Cooker up, this show has gone on extremely long. So it's going to have to be a very short Bundesliga wrap up here. I'm going to talk through some of the scores real quickly. Borussia Dortmund, Schalke, Riviera Derby. Dortmund got the 1 0 lead thanks to Makoko, the youngest ever goal scorer in the Riviera Derby. Uh, not good news for Marco Royce, though. He was taken off with an injury. It looked like an ankle injury. And if it's serious, he could miss the World Cup, which would be a disaster for Marco Royce. But Borussia Dortmund go top with that result. One of the reasons why Borussia Mönchengladbach 3 against Leipzig 0. Uh, Leipzig. Brought back down to earth, Marco Rose. Great win for Gladbach. Gladbach now move up to six in the table. And the leaders in the Bundesliga is Union Berlin against Wolfsburg. Jordan Sabachu, or should I say Jordan Pifok, or as the commentator said today, just Jordan was on the score sheet once again, as was Becker, their player of the month last month in the Bundesliga. Union remain top of the Bundesliga. They're unbeaten in the last 14 Bundesliga games. Real quickly, Heath Pierce, Jordan Pifok, uh, crazy situation, not in the squad. What's up with that? <clears throat> Huge omission. Obviously, we've we've continued to see Greg Berhalter go more and more and more into either you fit my system or you don't. I don't think there's any question marks. I still think he makes the World Cup squad. Uh, otherwise, it'll be really shocking. 
Now, the fact they didn't get brought in, that's a little bit worrying to me. But you know the kind of player you're going to get out of him. You know the scenarios you're going to put him in. He's not going to be your starter. He plays in a two-striker system. He's not a big pressing forward. This team likes to play in transition and press higher up the field. So he doesn't necessarily fit, but he is a circumstance type of striker. And you know he can score goals, and he's in a better form than I would think any at the level that he's playing at than any striker in the pool right now. So you're going to have to make room for him uh, on that plane to Qatar, and you're going to have to use him come final 20, final 15, final 10 minutes, whenever you need him to go in, be busy, hold up the ball, get in the box, and and use that form to get you a result. Top of the league, top of the league going on Berlin. It's fantastic to see. Nigel Rio Coker, Heath Pierce, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us today on Kiko Lazzo. And thank you so much to everybody out there for listening to the show. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are also available as video, so subscribe to us on YouTube. Visit YouTube. Uh, just uh, want to say before we head out of here, Heath Pierce in Soccer We Trust has been doing phenomenally well. Where can people catch the show next time? When are you guys back on again? Yes, 10 a.m. tomorrow. That's 10 a.m. Monday, Eastern Time. Uh, we will be live. Obviously, we've got the uh, it's a, it's an international break, so the schedule could be changing throughout the week, but normally Mondays, 10 a.m., Thursdays at uh, 10, a.m., uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, sorry, uh, 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, and then noon uh, Pacific Time on Thursdays, and then uh, Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time as well. Sorry, these th- this is see, Nigel's never Nigel's Nigel experienced these time zone changes for the first time when he headed west and was like, this doesn't make any sense, you know. It still <laughs> yeah. makes no sense to me. So I, uh, I, I literally just made people more confused. So we probably lost listeners for tomorrow, just throwing out random times. But that is 10 a.m. Pacific Time live tomorrow on YouTube on In Soccer We Trust uh, YouTube handle. Guys, awesome stuff as always. <laughs> Nigel, love you. Heath Pierce, love you. Enjoy the international break. And we know it is the international break, but we'll keep these shows coming. So make sure you stick around. We'll be back for more very soon. See you tomorrow. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.